Hey, it's Dr. G. And whether you've been a longtime listener or you're new to the podcast, welcome. Have you ever felt like you wanted to start over or reinvent your life? If so, I want to invite you to tell me all about it. I really need your advice. And to reward you for your time, I'm going to be choosing nine listeners to join me on a free one-on-one relaunch game plan call. This call is designed to help you get clear on your specific goals so you can relaunch your life. To join in and be eligible for the free call, go to discover.drgordon.me. That's discover.drgordon.me and answer all the questions. I look forward to reading your responses and talking to you soon. Thanks for your help and thanks for launching your life with me. Hello and welcome to the Launch Your Life podcast, the only mindset podcast that provides weekly actionable insights for lasting happiness and change for high achieving professionals who are ready to bounce back from burnout. I'm your host, Dr. G. Today we're talking to Sally Garazzo. Sally is a rapid transformational therapist, host of the Menopause Mindset podcast, and founder of the Sleep Superpower Academy. She's passionate about innovative approaches to health and well-being, which support the midlife slash menopause transition. This podcast is not just about menopause, so for the men who are listening, don't turn it off. During the podcast, we talk about how subconscious programming drives our lives, our behavior, and deconstructing the past, why it's so hard to create lasting change, and why she takes a five-minute dip into the English winter sea a few times every week. She also gives us some practical tips on creating a sustainable sleep routine, so stay to the end. Now, at the end of this episode, visit launchyourlifepodcast.com, where you can find the show notes, plus the links to the books and resources mentioned in the episode. Now, every day at 8.30 a.m. Eastern, I post on LinkedIn. Follow me there and just search Dr. Michelle Gordon to get actionable life-launching tips. And when you're ready to create a change in your life, just reach out on LinkedIn or by email, drg at drgordon.me. I'm happy to talk to you to find out if you're a fit for one of our life-changing programs. Thanks for launching your life with me. Now let's get to Sally. Sally, welcome to the Launch Your Life podcast. So happy to have you here. Oh, thank you. And... Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into what you're doing now? Yeah, so I am a, I'm a rapid transformational therapist, which is a hypnotherapist. Um, and I noticed a link between the people who were coming to see me for hypnotherapy and the whole midlife crisis, the whole midlife transition. And that's what I was going through as well as I was training to be a hypnotherapist in 2017. Um, And I noticed that, you know, there was this link between this whole midlife crisis and wanting to change um, everything about you, really, wanting to change your your life, wanting to change your health, your mindset, your relationships, your finances. And so I recognised that there was something in this menopause thing. It hadn't quite landed with me that what I was going through was the perimenopause. And Mm -hmm. so... um, when I saw a, a private, a functional medicine practitioner, um, got some Dutch tests done and we had a conversation and I was like, oh my God, this is perimenopause. I think I was, I was about 42 um, and it wasn't on my radar. It wasn't on any of my doctor's radar as well. So it, it was nothing that I was particularly thinking about. 
Then I just decided to do a course in perimenopause and menopause. It was called Peri to Postmenopausal Wellbeing. Um, it's a, a UK company that we have here. And oh my God, light bulbs just went on everywhere. I was like, this is really happening. And, and I just noticed this correlation between the, the need to look after yourself more and the whole sort of self-care thing that we need to kind of dial up during menopause and that and how hard that is for some people especially when we're high performers or you know we like to work or um you know we're just sort of enmeshed in this cultural narrative of growth 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 and actually what we needed to do was just sort of press the pause button and just figure out what exactly is going on under the surface so I work with people um, in, on their subconscious programming from the past. So I look at their childhood, what happened to them um, in their childhood, what, what did they learn about themselves and about the world around them from what, you know, what happened to them really. So mm -hmm. yeah, we go, we go quite deep, but I'm also a singing teacher as well, which people find oh, interesting. All right. <laughs> all right, what's your range? Oh gosh. Um, well, I can get up to probably not these days, but um, top C. Sometimes okay. I think my highest note so, was a G. So, are you a soprano or are you a? Um, well, it is weird because Sorry. I have um, I have like a split range. I don't have a particularly well mixed voice, which is what everyone seems to want. But mm. I so I can sing very high soprano, but I can also sing quite low my speaking voice is quite low you probably hear it yeah. Yeah. <laughs> i think that's the testosterone so i studied i studied classical voice in college and i was a uh coloratura wow. soprano way back in the day so you you gave us a lot of a lot of things to talk about here and it sounds like you made some sort of a pivot back in 2017 yeah so let's talk a little bit about um a midlife pivot because i think that's really important for anyone who's listened to this podcast and is interested in making a pivot yeah definitely well for me it was really I just felt so bad but I, I blamed my partner who is my now husband and mm. I everything that I thought that was going wrong with me I thought was to do with the relationship and I thought it was to do with him and how awful he was and how he never cleaned up and how he never um, you know did particularly well with his career and so we split up Mm. and we then we got back together and then we split up again during the second split up I had like a, a massive massive identity crisis crisis of my nervous system I stopped sleeping everything just kind of broke down I didn't know who I was anymore and mm. thankfully we got back together again but that wasn't until I'd had to really unpick my behaviors actually and had to do a lot of work on myself in terms of you know I, it, it feels a bit weird to say this but I was on the narcissistic spectrum and mm. I was an only child I was very pampered as a child I was spoiled I, I didn't have to earn love particularly it was everything was given to me which was nice but you don't you don't really learn how to communicate effectively if you can just get what you want all of the time. And so actually, it wasn't until my early 40s that I started to grow up into an adult, 
you know, and, and realised that you had to negotiate and you had to have effective communication and you couldn't just spit your dummy out in a rage when you didn't get what you wanted, you know? <laughs> you know, my dad used to say that um, puberty should be raised to the age of 40. And, you know, I think I think that menopause is, is an, an opportunity. I mean, I had an ex- existential crisis in menopause as well, and I pivoted away from surgery and onto, you know, building this this online business. Uh, mostly because I, I was burned out and I was disillusioned and doctors enter the medical field because we're altruistic and we want to help people. And then we kind of get spit up, you know, kind of chewed and spit out into this corporate machine and we lose our altruism. And I was, I was pretty much done with that. And for me, it was like menopause hit and I was like, oh, you know, how can I get some help? And I couldn't find any. And that's how come we have the menopause movement as part of our as part of our of our offerings. But yeah. in terms of um, in terms of your mindset, mm. you know, it sounds like the the you know just like you said, you help people with their subconscious programming, mm-hmm. and it sounds like all the beliefs that you created from you know being an only child and always getting your way and being loved, you know, because you were an only child. Um, those crept in to your your life, and I, I think it's so important that we talk about the fact that, you know, everything that we think is true happens. To, you know, th- these beliefs come in between the ages of say, you know, when we're born all the way up to age ten, but usually they're cemented by the age seven, and that that unless we start to radically examine our beliefs, our lives will not change. Absolutely. Couldn't yeah. agree more. We have to do that deconstruction. If we don't do that deconstruction, we'll just be blaming the outside world or just blaming ourselves. Because actually, when you look back at why it happened, then you can forgive yourself. And that's part of the mm-hmm. treatment that I do is saying, you know, it's not your fault. This this anxiety that you have, this hypervigilance, this inability to relax or whatever issue it is that they're coming could be procrastination, could be fear of rejection, could be money blocks. It all has a reason. It all has a root. It stems from something. You know, I'm still having therapy today and I, I enjoy having therapy because I find it fascinating when I make a link to um, something. And then so at the moment I've been having these odd intrusive thoughts and it doesn't worry me too much because I know it's it's I don't pathologize it particularly. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I dove into it with my therapist yesterday, we were talking about how my dad sort of, you know, did something similar when when he was um, younger and bringing me up. And we were like, oh, wow, isn't that interesting that, that actually, you know, I, I'll I, I don't mind admitting it. These are these intrusive thoughts were like not doing very nice things to animals and like they would just Mm. pop in I'd be like oh where's that come from that's horrible and it would make me really really sad sure you know and then you go down the rabbit hole if you're not careful am I am I am I am I a psychopath what's going on (laughs) yeah exactly you know am I am I I don't know if I can swear on this podcast you can do whatever you want good am I king mental you know am I am I yeah sure a psychopath so well you guys what do you guys say over there around the bend (laughs) yeah am I round the bend that's it yeah that's an old one actually but I like Mm. it 
Um, and when we had a look at the way my dad was treated, my dad wasn't treated very nicely by his mum. He was, you know, mm. as a baby, he was thrown against the wall. And as wow. a, I know, as a child, he um, he used to sort of swing cats around and and he used to tell us all this stuff as well. And, and of course, that mm. as a child, that sort of infiltrates your mind. So then when I was having a bit of high anxiety, no wonder this sort of stuff comes in and I've got a new dog and then you kind of worry about what you're going to do. But obviously, you're not going to do it. You know, we have a certain level of sanity, but it does make you when you deconstruct, when you do the work, when you look back, everything becomes so much clearer. And I think mm -hmm. that's what I love about on, this ongoing work. And for me, it, it never stops. I don't know if I'll ever stop having therapy, really. I, I do I do enjoy it. It's it's a nice process. It's comforting to get that support yeah. as well. I mean, I mean, I think that, you know, if you want to grow, and anyone who's listening to a mindset podcast is somebody who wants to grow. Yeah. Um, we, we have to be in this state of constantly questioning what we believe to be true. Yeah. Uh, for me, I, I, it took me a long time to realize that. I mean, I, I had to become a doctor. I had to become a doctor because when I was five years old, I realized that that was the only way I was gonna make money. And so that was the only way I was able to make money. And you know, I'm, I'm still undoing that programming, mm. right? And, um, and so, you know, I've, I've talked about it on the podcast multiple times, I don't wanna go through it again, but, but this, the thing that, that I found to be so fascinating was that that programming ran my life. I didn't wanna really be a doctor, I wanted to be a psychologist. Yeah. And, and it drew me, threw me into medical school. I, I didn't love medical school. It was just like this means to an end. And so I spent the whole time being really focused and even you know throughout my divorce and custody and we had a really, you know, I had to move out of the state and my ex-husband didn't want me to move out of the state and there, there was a big custody hearing and stuff. And the the doctor, not the doctor, the lawyer from, from my ex-husband says, you know, why are you in medical school? And I said, I just, I need to provide a, a, me, a means of living for my son and me. And I just kept saying that because that was my only focus. I was just so, so focused. And, and so I had this belief that when I was done, when I finished my surgical residency, when I started my practice, that I was gonna be happy. It was all gonna come together and everything was gonna be awesome. And I got there and I was like, oh, yeah. what now? And so the, the, there, there's this such an opportunity for us when we think that something's gonna give us a happiness to start looking at why am I not happy now in this moment yeah yeah it's so poignant because i think that yeah. um i read a book emily fletcher she's a meditation teacher and she says that yeah. we all have this i'll be happy when syndrome yeah. and i've had that and sometimes i still have it but for the most part i can say i am satisfied and i think there's this quote from esther hicks as well who says um, satisfied with what is, but eager for more. And mm -hmm. I love that balance. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's really, one thing we have to really, you know, in order to grow, we have to be comfortable with the fact that things happen as they're supposed to, right? And giving up this sense of control can be so hard for us, right? Because we, we tend to think that 
we tend to think that we actually have control. But we, we you know, we live in a dream world. And, <laughs> and what I love is the fact that, that nothing is set in stone. We can change it. You know, the only thing that I think is real is gravity. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's always going to suck at 9.8 meters per second squared. <laughs> That's just that's just how it works, right? But other than that, I mean, everything else is open to interpretation, and we can change the story in an instant as long as we're willing to look at things from a different perspective. Yeah, absolutely. I I think so, and I think I think part of that is being brave enough to to well, understanding that there is a choice, that you have a choice, and that you're not kind of stuck and you're not limited to what your life circumstances presented you because I think right. if you are limited that would be a very bleak existence and I I don't think that life is bleak I think there is you know when you look at some of these beautiful documentaries and you see how life evolves and you see how the penguins survive and how nature survives and you know it's yeah. it's incredible like the the life force that we have within us that desire to grow and evolve I think is strong but I think we battle with that against our survival instinct, which always wants to keep us safe. Yeah. And that's where the anxiety comes when it's like the anxiety happens when the accelerator and the brake are being pushed at the same time. There's, mm-hmm. there's the, the, the real desire to want to change and grow and improve and move life forward, but the brake is being slammed on, which is that voice that says, you can't do this. You don't have the money to do this. Who are you to think you can be a doctor or a psychologist or a, um, you know, a menopause practitioner? And so when you've got that push me, pull you situation going on internally, that conflict builds and builds and builds. It produces anxiety. Um, You don't know who you are. You have this identity crisis. You can't, you don't have any clarity. You get palpitations and then it will manifest physically in the body as well. Mm-hmm. So a part of the work that I do, and I'm sure this is the work that you do as well, it's untangling that, uh, untangling all of it really so that we get clarity, but also the confidence to understand that that this over here, this anxiety is the survival instinct. It's designed to protect you, to keep you safe so that you don't go jumping off a cliff. It doesn't want you to do that. But on the one hand, there's this sort of Elon Musk person within you that wants to go to Mars and wants to build a rocket and and take off and so it's what voice are you going to listen to yeah no that's really good because sometimes you know I I wonder like if I only had six months to live right what would I do and and I mean without question I know I mean I would be traveling but but what if what if it was like if, if there were no limits, right? And so that's, that's something I always think about, like what limits am I placing? Because the limits, the limits that we have in our lives are only things that we put on ourselves because of some belief. Yeah. And, you know, I, I used to think that I couldn't be on camera, you know, and I sucked at it at first. And so it's, it's just, you know, we have to, we have to be willing to suck at things and to fail. And as a doctor, that was really hard for me when I, especially when I started a business and realized that a business is a series of failures that you, you know, you've just practiced until, until you find something that, that works. You just got to keep on, you know, and, and the, the sooner you fail, the better it is. Yeah. And so when you redefine failure to mean, uh, you know, 
this is a lesson. This is something that I can, you know, keep moving toward. I mean, I think this could be really applied to weight loss, right? Why is it so hard to lose weight? And the reason it's so hard to lose weight is because we don't change our state of being. We don't, we don't adopt the habits that the somebody who has the weight that we want to, you know, that they have, right? We don't go to bed at night. We don't drink enough water. We don't move our bodies and we don't eat enough protein. Yeah. And, and those four things, <laughs> if you just get a good night's sleep, if you just drink more water, if you just, if you just move your bodies and you eat more protein, you're going to lose some weight, yeah. you know, because protein keeps you full and it's hard to turn into fat. And so, you know, not, not to put, you know, put a lot on the weight loss side of things, but you know, it's truly what, what we get our habits. Yeah. And when we want something new in our lives, we have to, we have to change our habits. And not only that, we have to visualize where we're going. Yeah. And we have to believe that we can do it because if we don't believe, we're not going to get there. Oh my God, you are so right. You're so right. You have to see yourself doing it first. Like you have to see, create that vision in your mind because that vision it sends a message to the rest of your body and it can turn mm-hmm. on the hunger, it can turn off the hunger or the desire. But I just started, because I live right by the sea here, and I've just, mm-hmm. well, I say just started, I started it last year doing the mm-hmm. cold water exposure. Oh, Wim Hof? The Wim Hof stuff, yeah. Okay. Oh. <laughs> you actually get into the sea? Well, yes, I do. And I started in oh. February last year. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. And um, I mean, that's something that every fiber of your being does not want you to do. Every part of you is kicking and screaming as you walk up to that water's edge and it's January and the sun's just come up, you know, it's 8, 8.30 in the morning and you're with your comrades and you're all totally resistant. Um, So what is it that tells you to get into that water? You know, it's that that part of you, it's that Elon Musk part of you, that driver, that part of you that wants to change this habit. And that's so powerful, but you have to, so I've, the way that you get into the water is so interesting. You can either panic as you go in and resist, or you can relax as you go in. And if you panic, you're gonna have a bad time and you're gonna come straight out, but, one of the things that I learn, and this has had a massive knock-on effect in other areas of my life, is to relax into the pain. Because mm. that's, I mean, I don't know if you've ever exposed yourself to cold water. I'm sure some of your listeners will have. Um, but it's very painful. And the first time I experienced it, I was not prepared for the level of pain that it, it was. I thought it would be a bit chilly, but it's actually physical pain. You know, it's like a real numbing and then your armpits burn and your your lower back like goes into this sort of freeze and the base of your neck goes into freeze so it's it's a lot of pain that you're having to deal with the payoff's amazing and i think that's the thing that motivates you to do it is the payoff so you know when we're talking about weight loss and not eating those sugary sweet things that you so want to eat it's like telling yourself well how do i want to pay How do I want to pay in an hour's time? Do I want to pay in guilt? Do I want to pay in remorse, in regret, in feeling sluggish? Or do I want to pay in self-mastery? Do I want to pay in feeling, you know, accomplished and, and strong and like I'm in control of myself and 
And that's going to feed into that motivation, which is going to make me want to do it even more and even more and even more. So I think it's about in those moments of difficulty, when you're faced with that challenge, knowing what you want and why you want it, why you're doing it, and then relax into the pain. Um, it's like when we're having like um, a, a blood sugar crash or, or we want, uh-huh. maybe not a blood sugar crash because you should eat something if you're having a blood sugar crash. But if you're feeling like you want to eat to avoid boredom, mm-hmm. it's leaning into that discomfort of boredom. Like what's that boredom trying to tell you? Or what's that loneliness actually saying? Yeah, no, that's that's so good because, you know, one of the ways, I mean, I, mean, I think, I think, I think we can, there are things that happen in our lives that become habitual and 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 breaking the habits is almost like breaking an addiction yeah. right and so we have to start with our thoughts we have to then change our behavior and we have to remember when those thoughts come because i want to go and do this i have to like redirect myself yeah. right now, I'm not talking about the same sort of addiction, uh, physical addiction that comes with, say, you know, opioid abuse, because that that's a really hard one to undo because it actually changes your whole the whole chemistry of your brain, which is why it's so hard to quit. Yeah. But when it comes to like habitual behaviors, let's say you, uh, you know, you've gotten yourself into something toxic, maybe a toxic relationship or a um, maybe a a codependent kind of thing and you know you got to end it but you don't want to because it feels so good yeah you know but you know you're not going to grow that kind of stuff that's what i'm talking about you know or or even even sometimes our relationship with food where it's ice cream at night or it's alcohol right yeah and and with not talking about a physical addiction to alcohol but i'm just talking about you know that that you know 7 p.m glass of wine that just you know and through the pandemic alcohol abuse has really gone up yeah and and we got to think about what the trade-off is and the way i quit drinking was that i realized that alcohol while in the moment i feel really relaxed and it's fun and i i love it the huge payoff is lack of sleep and feeling really shitty the next day regardless of how much i drink and so i was like you know and i drank actually i was i was we went to maine which is a state up north here in in america we went to maine for christmas my brother came and uh and i was drinking you know i brought this great big like four or five or six liter bottle of wine we drank that and then we and then we uh we had new year's eve i had drank whiskey or something and that was it and i said this is i'm done and i haven't had a drink since and I, and and mm. it, it isn't a, an addiction thing but i just want to feel better yeah. right yeah and so just getting over that and so we got to really you know our job is to really pay attention to the things that draw us especially the things that draw us back to toxic type behaviors and and try and and find the you know the alternative yeah, absolutely. I think, and I think another thing as well is that that stress can become very addictive, and that's why, and that's a really hard one to break because we, the, the thing that we need to do to um, stop the stress, like I don't know, go and have a, a little sauna or go and have a bath, we can or meditate. We can be really resistant to those things mm-hmm. because um, it's taking us away from the thing that's kind of that is very familiar and I think there's a lot of that with addictions as well it's 
habitually, you know, the mind loves what is familiar. And so it just takes you yeah. back to the familiarity, even if you don't want to do it anymore. I'd gotten into a bit of a pickle a few months ago with eating um, on the sofa in the evening. And I was like, I don't actually enjoy this, but I am doing it and I can't stop because it's so familiar. Um, and it yeah. actually took being a bit sick, being a bit ill with something to to break that that pattern. And again, that's why illness can actually be quite useful because it's like an, a pattern interrupter. Yeah. Um, God forbid we, we get ill on purpose or we, we get ill a lot because it, it's not very good, but um, it can be a good pattern interrupter when, when we need something, when we can't quite muster the strength ourselves to do it. But you know, when we have support groups or when we're in programs like your, your program, um, I think that collective support can be super helpful for accountability, for motivation, and just new ideas and new perspectives that keep you on the straight and narrow, keep you on the path. Yeah, no, that's really good. And I wanted to say that, that what, what have you seen as the benefits of the, the cold water? going into the cold water it's really that i i know i can do hard things that's yeah. really been it like physiologically i don't think i get that much from it if i'm honest i get more out of having a cold shower in the morning but that gives me lots of energy and i feel whew, alive uh, when i do the cold water dipping i call it because we don't actually swim we just dunk mm. i'm actually very very cold afterwards and you know shivering and I have to go home and warm up slowly and and eat um you know a hot meal and then you know have a hot shower and I feel very very tired afterwards so I actually can't see like particularly physical benefits from from doing that but me the mental resilience is where it's at mm -hmm. for me it's the ability to get in withstand that level of pain for five minutes until you've completely gone numb um yeah and, and okay knowing that well is that something you said would you have done that alone no don't think so yeah so that's that's a really good point about accountability and um, because if you tell your you know we often will keep our promises to other people but break our promises to ourselves and so one way to make sure that we that we get things done that we really want to get done is to be accountable to another person about it. Yeah. And so you're not going to leave your friends on the sea by by themselves, um, you know, for them to come back and ridicule you because you didn't show up and you're, you're a wuss. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But the other thing I want to tell you, some of the benefits that happen when you do cold therapy Please. is that it, it does um, it decreases inflammation in your body. Uh, to the point that it can really it can really help um, it can really help with um, chronic illnesses if you have like a an arthritis or something like that. And the other thing um, is I think I think it increases metabolism for several hours afterwards. So those are those are a couple of benefits of cold water therapy. Yeah, I've heard something to do with brown. My head. Sorry. Um, Go ahead. I heard someone, a biohacker, say something that it helps to metabolize brown fat. Well, I think it it so it increases brown fat. Brown fat is a is the is the fat that we have for um, if I remember now. I don't don't quote me because I'm not sure, but that's 
It's the fat that we have for insulation. Uh. And the fat, the, the metabolic fat that we have from overeating is not brown fat. Okay. It's yellow fat. Okay, so, so. the conversion, it, it yeah. probably helps yeah, to convert it. Yeah, so it helps it. to... Yeah, it helps to, to, to add that. And that's a, that's a healthier type fat. I don't know if cold water therapy, you probably, you know, if you read Wim Hof's book, you'll probably hear it out, you know, but um, you probably find it out. But it's, I'm pretty sure that it can help to decrease visceral fat as well. Visceral fat is the fat around the organs that we don't see or the omentum, um, which is this fatty layer of tissue that overlies our intestines. And it, it is, the job of the omentum is to kind of root out anything um, that gets out of the gut. I see. For whatever reason. That would make sense. And does it have an effect yeah. on the vascular system as well? Well, so what's going to happen when you get that cold is your everything's going to constrict and it's going to make sure that you get blood to your brain so you don't pass out. So what happens? So in terms of inflammation... I think that that's one of the functions of the inflammation, but now I'm just, now I'm just remembering medical stuff, <laughs> you know? And so if you think about cold therapy, what it does is it decreases the, the blood flow to the area. So when you go in, you know, up to your neck, what's, what ha what's happening is, is your heartbeat is going to go down and it's going to try to pump more blood up to your brain. I see. That would make yeah. sense. Yeah. So yeah. it's good. And so for... that's why you go numb. That's why you go now. Yeah. Oh, it's so interesting. Yeah. And that's why you yeah. probably feel that sense of whoosh in your head. So I wanted to ask you, so let's just switch gears for a second. And let's talk a little bit about setting boundaries and saying no. Ooh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a good idea at menopause, <laughs> midlife. It's a good idea any time in your life. <laughs> Quite frankly, yeah. any time in your life. But at midlife, it tends to come up because I think... I think having lots of estrogen enables us to say yes to everything and we get used to saying yes to everything in our 20s and 30s don't we and going out when we really don't want to go out but we can push ourselves in our 20s and 30s um, we can do with not sleeping very much particularly and that's not very good for us but we can cope much better I think and so we push ourselves much more and then that becomes a habit but also not being able to say no comes from that thing of really wanting to keep everyone happy. And that comes from usually a fear of rejection. I can't say mm. no because I'm terrified of being rejected by this person. So then we have to look at, well, why are you terrified of being rejected? Where's that come from? You know, let's, of course, there are a sort of survival instincts as well. Like if we go around pissing people off we're not going to have a tribe and our primal brain thinks we need to have a tribe in order to survive it doesn't quite realize that we've moved on from caveman yeah. days and we can get everything delivered via amazon these days we don't actually need a tribe to survive we do need it for our mental health and our emotional well-being but um so i've lost my train of thought there but what was i saying <laughs> So we were talking about we're talking about setting boundaries and saying no and rejection. Yes. And and how they're all connected. Yes. And so yeah, we need to, we need to trace back and find out why what why are you right. worried about saying no? What a lot of the clients that I see have real issues with like being nice. I mean, it's a very British thing anyway, just sort of being very nice and very 
amicable and we don't want to upset the apple cart. We won't even complain if something is off in a restaurant. You know, we'll we'll moan about it to our partner, but when the waiter comes along, oh no, everything's fine, everything's okay. <laughs> so you have to get used to... Um, I think it's a confidence thing as well, you know, just stand, standing up for what you what you want for yourself and understanding that actually what you need for you as somebody in their midlife is probably going to be good for the other person as well. So yeah. I think if you're saying yes to things like projects, for example, that come in that aren't really in line with your values anymore, but you say yes to them anyway, and then you can't do it last minute, that's going to really piss the other person off. So by just sort of slowing down and assessing whether this thing is actually going to be right for you or not, mm -hmm. just taking a little bit of time out to do a value measure and decide yes or no and go back to the person early, I think that will earn you actually some respect in the long sure. run. I think that's the way we need to look at boundaries is it's, it's not letting somebody down, it's actually effective communication which is mm -hmm. so important for harmonious relationships. And, you know, it will get you respect in the long run. Well, I think that's true. I think also that it's so important for us to realize that saying no is really saying yes to ourselves. Yeah. And that will free us up to actually do the things that are very important in our lives. As women who have taken care of families for the most part growing up, you know, as they grew up, or a partner, making sure the partner had a, if you didn't have children, but your partner, you know, had a career or whatever. Um, I think what happens in midlife is we, we get to a point where we're just like, well, what's, you know, the kids are gone and, you know, the partner has this great job, whatever. And that now it's like, well, what about me? Hmm. And it's our time. And I think it's really important that we that we take that time, take a look at what we're doing and say how, especially if you're a high performer, how can I make this better? How can I get a little bit better? And what, I mean, especially when it comes to boundaries, man, I tell you, people walk all over women. And the reason we walk all over women, you know, people walk all over women is because we let it, yeah. we let them. Yeah. And we let them because it's a societal expectation and it's taught to us when, when we're children. Yeah. And we're taught that girls are supposed to clean up and boys are supposed to you know, hit girls when they like them, right? <laughs> and, so, and so then you know, we grow up with uh, women who are subservient and men who abuse women. And so I think, I think it's just really important that, that when, when we get to midlife, if we haven't had a good idea about how to set boundaries, that, that we start to learn. And there's a great book just called Boundaries that, you know, it, it, it's a good way to just get started with how to say no to people. Yeah, I think I know that book. Um, yeah. Find Peace, Set Boundaries, Find Peace. Is that the one? Um, I don't know. It's got a pencil on the front. Oh, okay, no. My one's got yeah. squares on the front. Okay. Yeah. I, th I think. Yeah. I, I, might, I might be thinking of something else but the, yeah it's a boundaries boundaries book yeah. so let's talk about sleep okay how do you get a better night's sleep other than you know putting your dousing yourself in the cold sea <laughs> for five minutes do you do that every day no I take a cold shower most days okay. yeah which um I like but yeah so it's really for me because insomnia was probably my worst menopausal symptom um uh -huh. So it's something that I really had to learn how to do because you can only go without sleep for 
you know, probably two days, three de- three days if you're lucky, uh, yeah. without it really starting to affect you mentally, you know, the brain fog, the memory loss, everything. You just feel awful if you've not slept. Mm-hmm. So I had to learn and I had to learn fast. The main thing for me was not worrying about not sleeping. So this is the, the, ju- the, the paradox, the oxymoron. Yeah. The more you don't sleep, the more you worry about not sleeping. The more you worry about not sleeping, the more you don't sleep. Right on. Right. So yeah. here we're we're screwed. We're in a yeah. <laughs> yeah, that whole rumination uh cycle in the brain. Yeah, exactly. So um so what was I gonna say? Yeah, so stop stop worrying about sleep and I and I used to it used to hit me about five o'clock in the evening and I'd I'd start that sinking feeling of, Oh my god, is tonight gonna be the night that I don't sleep? Even if I had a run of good sleep I would start to worry. And so I used to just bat those thoughts away with a cricket bat in my mind. I would just imagine them or like water down a plug hole or just say to or rationalize with myself. This is just those intrusive thoughts again, basically, and and recognize that my body did have an innate capability to sleep. And what I really needed to do was um, increase my sleep drive. And so what I was doing was not exercising for quite a long period of time because I thought I couldn't because I was so burnt out through not sleeping. Mm. But actually I needed to do something, even if it was just a little, you know, um, going for a walk or a bit of yoga or just some really light resistance weight just to increase that sleep drive. Um, so exercise played a key part in my ability to start sleeping again. I needed to really knacker myself out physically so that my body would then take over at night time. You know, when you're that exhausted physically, it's a physical exhaustion that I needed to create in my body, not the mental exhaustion. Cause I think mental exhaustion can keep you awake. It's like, yeah. yeah so that's something. You know, everybody says exercise, right? You want to lose weight, you have to exercise. If you want, you know, uh, eat less, move more. I mean, it's such bullshit uh, because really, if you want to lose weight, you have to change your habits yeah. and your habits start with what you're putting in your mouth. And and it doesn't matter about, that's why we have a, you know, here at the menopause movement, we have a, a 28 day middle belly challenge that you can buy that has weekly coaching and things like that. And it, it's so important that we start with just simple habits and we don't eat, you don't, it's the only, it's the only weight loss challenge that says you don't have to exercise if you don't want to, because at the end of the day, it's, it's not about exercise. Why do I exercise? I exercise because I don't want to go senile. I want to increase the blood flow to my brain. I want to make sure that I don't, I don't get some sort of a, you know, brain problem as I age. And again, I want to be able to sleep at night. Now, you know, I go, my relationship with exercise goes up and down, you know, I'll, I'll run, you know, 20 miles in a week, uh, one, one month and, uh, you know, every week for a month and then, and then I'll, you know, and I'll ride a bike or whatever. And then I just get burned out and all I want to do is just walk. Yeah. And you know, that's okay. I mean, if my, if I'm burned out, I have to listen to my body. I have to listen to my brain. And, and, you know, I told myself I was going to do something every day this year. And so mostly it's elliptical and I don't care because at the end of the day, I just want to do something. Yeah. I just want to remind people that, that we exercise to keep our brains fit. We don't exercise because uh, it's a punishment for eating or, 
you know, and, and obviously we want our bodies to look a certain way and that's when, you know, you can shape your body with weights and, and that sort of thing. But man, yeah. if you're not sleeping, start an exercise program. And even if it's just walking. Yeah. I couldn't agree more with everything that you've said there. I think exercise should be, you, you should exercise to balance your hormones, regulate your nervous system, uh, discharge emotional energy first. The weight loss for me has got nothing to do with it. So was there anything else you were hoping to share that we didn't get to? I think in terms of sleep, the, another really important factor is um, bedtime routine. Oh, it's yeah, so, absolutely. so important. And actually um, understanding that the whole eight hours a night thing is a bit of a myth. We actually need five sleep cycles, which works out at seven and a half hours. Sometimes you can have an extra sleep cycle if you're really sleep deprived. Sometimes, you know, it can be four sleep cycles if you're a a certain personality type especially like musicians and late night people that, that are um, artists tend to stay up later they can survive on four sleep cycles so it's really calculates doing some maths working out mm. your chronotype what ha the amount of sleep cycles you need then you you allow 20 minutes for falling asleep so that takes you up to um, seven hours and 50 minutes so then you go to bed at that time minus the time you want to wake up. So you do a little calculation. Mm. So I go to bed every night at 10 past 10 and I wake up at 6 a.m. And I don't need an alarm clock. It all happens all by itself. 90 minutes before 10 past 10, I start my power down hour, although it's an hour and a half, <laughs> which yeah. involves you know, having a shower, taking a salt bath, doing some breathing exercises, writing a list out for the next day, tidying up, getting my bits out for the next day. And that's quite structured. So for me, that structure is so important, um, making sure that I don't overwork, making sure that I set boundaries, say no, and things like that. It's just yeah. incredibly important to set boundaries and find peace <laughs> so two hours of TikTok before bed is probably not the best idea not really <laughs> not unless you're on holiday but even then you know I, I like to stick to a routine yeah no that's good so sleep routine is really important yeah. uh, thanks for that uh, where can people find you so my website's probably the best place sallygarozzo.com i'm very active on instagram as well i do lots of stories and reels and i, I try to post content that's very um informative not just sort of me dancing around doing stuff although there are some because yeah. i've started dancing as well recently which is good for the whole mind body connection sure absolutely yeah so and oh, I've, I love I've got a sleep course as well which i do called ah. the sleep superpower academy so I've turned right. all of my problems into solutions. <laughs> well, that's always the best way to get something going yeah. is to turn a problem into a solution. Sally, thanks so much for joining the podcast today. I really have had a great time with oh, you. Thanks for having me.